You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. A couple of years ago, I bought a camera or Facebook marketplace for $2. It was a plastic toy camera with a robot's face on the front and three lenses. I didn't have very high hopes about taking cool photos with this camera, but what I can tell you is that this little plastic toy camera has captured my heart. Keep listening to find out all about the Robot 3 plastic toy camera and the rather tenuous link between it and one of the pioneers of 19th century photography. I'm Matt Murray and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras, instant cameras and everything analogue photography related. friends how are you i hope you are well wherever you are all around the world welcome to another episode of matt loves cameras episode 35 and uh, today we've got a bit of a mixed bag for you today we've got a few updates we've got a review of a plastic camera and we've got a nice little history lesson about the uh, about a pivotal person in the history of photography so i hope you hope you're going to enjoy it now before we go any further i want to give you an update on the sprockets competition so i haven't really done much um PR for the sprockets competition yet but this is this is the details for the competition now i did promise you details last episode and what happened was i recorded that little snippet and uh, i was listening back to a bit of the show before i published it and i deleted like five or six minutes because i was waffling on about nothing and i inadvertently deleted the bit about the sprockets competition so i apologize if you listened to the last episode wondering where that bit was um but basically the details for the sprockets competition is this it's open from mid-july which is obviously like a month ago all through August, all through September. And the deadline is going to be the 30th of September. Now, there's only uh, a few little rules and they're not very complicated. So the first rule is you must shoot on 35 millimeter. That's a 135 film. Okay, the second rule is that you must expose the sprockets of your 35 mil film. And I think that's about it. Uh, Oh, except for the deadline is the 30th of September. That's the third rule. Uh, That's it. So you can use any kind of camera as long as you're using 35mm film, as long as you're exposing those sprockets. So you could use a sprocket rocket. You could use a Blackbird Fly. You could use a medium format camera, which uh, either natively sort of exposes the sprockets or maybe you're using a, I don't know, some kind of medium format camera, which has a 120 to 35mm adapter. I have no idea. Uh, but get out there and shoot those sprockets through the rest of August and through all of September. And um, very soon, probably the next episode of Matt Loves Cameras, I'll put up a link to a Google form where you can submit your images. Hopefully we'll get lots of fantastic sprocket pictures and we'll be able to do a zine with them as well. I say as well because I'm currently putting together the Matt Loves Pano zine. That was the last challenge, the uh, the cheap plastic focus-free panorama camera challenge. And I'm putting together a zine of that at the moment. It took uh, two to three weeks to get people's permission. We had a few stragglers, but that's okay. Everyone came good in the end. So I got permission from everyone uh, to be in the zine, which is fantastic. 
Now, a few days ago, what I did was I actually videoed myself. That sounds weird, but I did a screencast kind of thing of uh, me putting together the zine in InDesign. I thought that might be helpful for people who've never used InDesign before. I hear people say all the time that they open up InDesign and it kind of scares them. I am not an InDesign expert, but I have the ability to make a zine in InDesign. So I thought uh, that might be quite helpful to people. So what I did was I did a 40-minute video just working through. Uh, let me have a look here. I'll tell you exactly what I worked through. It's a 40-minute uh, video that I put up for my coffee subscribers. So if you want to see this video, you do have to send me a little donation on coffee. It's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. And on there, there's a couple of giveaways at the moment. You get access to all of the goodies for 30 days. So the goodies at the moment, of course, is a, a copy, a PDF copy of my first film photography zine every summer. And now the second goodie is this video. So you can access both of these. And in the video, let's have a look. This is what I cover in part one. So the 40-minute video I've done is actually only half of the zine creation process. Uh, so I've got to do a second part yet, which I'll do in the next week. So in part one of the video, for coffee subscribers, uh, it shows you the, I show you the Mixum website and how to look for requirements for your zine. Then I open up InDesign and create a new blank document, uh, which includes things like the quiet area and the bleed that you need uh, for when you send your zine to Mixum. I show you how to import images onto pages and make sure they're aligned properly. I show you how to add text and how to move the pages around to get the layout that you want. It's a very simple zine layout, the, the Pano zine. Uh, we've actually decided to call it Pantastic, by the way. It's not going to be called Matt Loves Pano zine. I didn't really want my name in it because it's not it's not my work. It's Well, I've got one image in there, but it's a lot of it's a collaborative effort, and I really didn't want to call it um, Matt Loves Panos. So we're calling it Pantastic Adventures in Faux Pan Volume 1. So if you did want to see me putting that together, if you've never used InDesign before and you thought you might want to use it in the future, um, i show you how I, I use InDesign to put together zines and that you can see that on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. Now, the next stage, as I said, will be for me to do a second part of the video <laughs> for coffee subscribers where I finish off the zine. I need to do the cover. I need to add the intro. I need to add some thank you notes and a few other bits and bobs. And then I'll upload it to Mixum and I'll have a call out for pre-orders. And then hopefully we'll get this zine out there uh, sometime probably early September at this rate. But it, it will be coming very, very soon. So just a quick recap, I'm Matt Murray, I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analogue photography. In many episodes of the podcast, I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use and what kind of photos you can expect from it. In today's episode, episode 35 of Matt Loves Cameras, I have a review of the Robot 3 action camera, also known as the Desdere Robot, and we'll also be delving into history to find out more about that name is Dairy and uh, who the person was and what contribution they made to photographic history. You can see a review of this camera along with many other reviews at mattlovescameras.com and you can also see some selected images from this camera on the show's Instagram, Matt Loves Cameras.
So with a lot of cameras, you find out about them through other people using them or seeing them on Instagram or on blogs or on podcasts or YouTube. And you hear about the camera and you just you get a bit of gas, gear acquisition syndrome, and you decide that you want that camera and you track it down and you buy it. With this camera, I had never heard of the camera before. It was late one evening. I think it was in, oh, it was 2018. So it was about two years ago, two, two and a half years ago, maybe. And it was, uh, I think it was an autumn evening. So it was probably like, you know, May, June or May uh, in 2018. And it was pouring with rain. It was dark outside. And I was just, I was just kind of kill a few minutes just before I had to leave at six o'clock. And um, I had a look. I'd done all my work, by the way, before I was slacking off. And um, I looked at my, my phone on uh, Facebook Marketplace and I saw this camera for $2.00. And it had just been listed and I sent through a, is this available message to the lady straight away. I didn't even know what camera it was, but I thought for $2, who cares? I'm just going to go buy it. And so I, the lady lady's house was on the way home. And so in the pouring rain, I drove to this lady's house and I, I knocked on the door and I was getting drenched outside and I handed her a $2 coin and she gave me this little packet with a cardboard box with this little white camera with this little pink robot face staring back at me. And I did a little bit of research and uh, all of a sudden I'd worked out that what I had was uh, a, a camera called the Dairy Robot. Uh, now, the, officially the name on the pack is the Robot 3. I've still got the pack here and the official name is the Robot 3. Let's have a look. Create the three-frame story, 35mm, three-lens action camera, Robot 3. So there you go, Robot 3, three-lens action camera. Uh, And so that's what it says on the actual pack of the camera. And so I got home and um, I sort of was playing with the camera and I tried to wind it on and and see if the shutter worked. You know, it's completely made of plastic and uh, the thing wouldn't work. And I'm like, oh man, have I wasted my $2 here? Have I bought a dud? But then I remembered that some cameras, you actually have to put a roll of film in before anything happens. I don't know why. I don't know if there's a trigger inside the camera or something. But unless there's a roll of film inside, they won't. You can't press the shutter button. So I loaded up a roll of film. Uh, The camera takes no batteries before you're thinking, oh, did it have a battery in? It doesn't need a battery. So I put a roll of uh, a test roll of 35 mil film in, wound it on, pressed the shutter and all of a sudden, I had this very noisy little action camera sprang to life, and the lenses whirred at me. And yes, the camera worked, so it wasn't it wasn't a waste of two dollars. So let me explain what this camera looks like. It's a white plastic camera, but the camera is given a splash of color and a lot of personality by three pieces of colored plastic that make up the camera. So as well as the white base color you've got three pieces of pink plastic. So one of them is a shutter button. The shutter button is pink. One of them is the rewind crank. The rewind crank is pink. And covering the lenses on the front of the camera is a piece of pink plastic that looks like a robot's face. So it's a very, very cute, (laughs) adorable looking camera. um, And it's called the Robot 3. Now, I wondered where I knew this name, Dysdairy Robot, from. And so I looked up my, one of my favorite books, Toy Cameras. Toy Cameras by Kevin Meredith. I love this book. And I flipped through it thinking, you know, have I seen this this camera before? Is it my imagination? And lo and behold, in the Toy Cameras book, the Robot 3 or the Dysdairy Robot is in the Toy Cameras book. And I think I own about at least 50% of the cameras in the toy cameras book. I absolutely love that book. Uh, so yeah, so it was interesting that I'd, I'd bought a camera 
that I didn't think I'd seen before, but I probably had when, when I was flipping through that book. Was that my subconscious telling me that I should buy it? I really don't know. So let me tell you a little bit about the history of this camera. And I found this out much later. Um, what I did actually, uh, I actually put the camera on the shelf and didn't touch it for a year. Uh, and it wasn't really until we went overseas last year, about a year ago, actually, it was August, September, 2019. That's the, the, first, the only two times I've used the camera. But I'll tell you a little bit about this camera's history. So the Robot 3 Action Camera is a cheap 35mm plastic toy camera produced circa 2007-2008. It was sold by Vast Fame Camera, a Hong Kong export company that hired ties to a factory in mainland China. Vast Frame, I always go to say Vast Frame, but it's actually Vast Fame. Vast Fame produced a series of toy film cameras, as well as digicams, underwater cameras, and cheap disposable cameras. Perhaps the most celebrated of Vast Fame's lineup is the Robot 3, nicknamed the Disdairy Robot. The name Robot 3 comes from the fact, of course, there's three lenses on the front covered by that brightly coloured piece of plastic in the shape of a robot's face. Now, there's all sorts of different colour combinations for the Robot 3 camera. So the one I've got here is white with a pink face, but um, you can also have, a, there's also a black bodied robot. So there's either white plastic or black plastic as the base color of the camera. And then the, the three pieces of colored plastic that make up the rewind um, crank, uh, the shutter button and the robot's face, they can be uh, orange, pink, blue, purple, green, and yellow. So there's a lot of different color combinations there for this camera. You never know what you're gonna get uh, when, you, when you find a Robot 3 camera in the wild. Now, Vast Fame also produced a couple of other toy cameras. They produced one with two lenses. That's either called the Twin Star or the Twinkle 2. And that sort of produced two images side by side. And they also produced a four-lens camera known as the Action 4. And that had a brightly colored piece of plastic on the front that looked like a butterfly. So I don't know why that one isn't called the Butterfly 4. They called it the Action 4. Um, but they called the Robot 1 the Robot 3. So there you go. So what is so special about this Robot 3 camera? Well, apart from being quite adorable, the Robot 3 produces an unusual effect. When you press the shutter button, it produces three images on the one frame of 35mm film. Now, having multiple images on the one frame of 35mm film is not unusual in itself, of course. There are many other action sampler cameras that do that. But what sets the Robot 3 apart is the frame dividers in the camera. It even sets it apart from the Twin Star and the Action 4. The frame dividers on the Robot 3 are curved. They're curved. So the Twin Star divides up the frame with a, a neat line, and the Action 4 divides up the frame with two neat lines. You know, there's four images in neat lines. But the Robot 3 has curved frame dividers, which gives it a really weird look when you look at the images. Now, apparently, it has been said that this gives you the impression that you're looking at the world from a robot's point of view. Of course, when you look at the camera, it looks like the robot's got two eyes and a mouth. And in the two eyes and the mouth, there's a lens in each one of those holes. And each one of those lenses has part of the image on the frame. So there's three images in the frame from the three holes. So it is said that, you know, it, it's, you're looking at the world through a robot's point of view. But that raises some very important questions for me. Okay, so number one, why would a robot not have stereoscopic vision? 
why would it be looking at the world with two different views from each different eye? Second question, why would a robot be able to see out of its mouth? Maybe I'm overthinking the whole robot's point of view thing, but they're the questions that came to my mind. So despite its quirky looks and its questionable reason for being, the Robot 3 is a super fun, super cute camera that gives you fun, lo-fi, lo-mo inspired results. I've only shot the two rolls of film through it, but it's captured a place in my heart. It was one of the six cameras that I used for my first film photography zine every summer. Of course, you can find out more about that uh, zine every summer in episodes 31 and 32 of Matt Loves Cameras. Uh, Episode 31 was every summer shooting film on the Isle of Wight. And episode 32 was let's make a film photography zine with InDesign and Mixum. And if you're curious to see the zine, you could either buy one from my website, mattlovescameras.com, or hear the details on how you can get a digital version. To support this podcast, why not buy our dad a coffee? Visit coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. And buy him a coffee for just $3. As a special thank you, you'll get access to a digital version of my dad's first film photography zine every summer. There's even a few photos of me in the zine. And return! That's ko-fi.com. You better not have any photos of me in there. So now I'm going to talk you through the Robot 3 or the Disdairy Robot specifications of the camera. So be prepared to get very excited with these amazing specs. The focus distance of the camera is 1 meter to infinity. The lens configuration, it has three 25mm lenses, two on the top row of the camera, the robot's eyes, and one on the bottom row, the robot's mouth. The lenses, of course, flip the image. So the long part of the image, which is its mouth, actually ends up at the top part of the frame. Curved frame dividers are said to give you the impression that you're looking through the world, looking at the world through a robot's point of view. The lens sequence. The three exposures are taken in a sequence that lasts for about one-fifth of a second. And as you're holding the camera in your hand with the lens facing away from you, the sequence it goes off in is the bottom lens, then the right lens, then the left lens, which of course is reversed onto the negative as the top part of the image, the left bottom and the right bottom. The camera in theory has a fixed shutter speed and fixed aperture for the three lenses. The shutter speed is said to be 1 100th of a second and the aperture is said to be f8. However, if you look at the images on the show notes or the, the camera review at mattlovescameras.com, you'll see that the, the mouth image, which is the top image across the frame, is somewhat lighter than the other two images. So either it has a slower shutter speed than one one hundredth of a second, or maybe it's a little bit more wide open. Maybe it's only f5.6. I really don't know, but it's definitely that that top part of the film, which is the, the bottom lens, the mouth, is getting more light somehow onto the film. Battery, the camera takes no battery. It does, however, come with a strap. 
It does have a fancy film counter, which is a bit of a luxury for a camera like this. It has a rewind button and a rewind uh, crankshaft, of course. Uh, it has no viewfinder. That is one peculiarity of the camera. No built-in viewfinder. However, it does have a pop-up sports viewfinder. Now, when I call it a sports viewfinder, I'm kind of bigging it up a little bit. It's just a little bit of plastic that comes off the top of the camera, which creates a, a see-through frame, which you can use. Uh, and you can either choose to, to vaguely wave the camera at the subject, or you can use this pop-up sports viewfinder to try and get a bit more accurate uh, framing of your composition, although I'm not sure how actually accurate it is. Recommended film. Now, it depends on the light of where you live. You can use any kind of film in this camera. I have used ISO 100 and 200 film on sunny days with really fantastic results. Although if the light where you live is a little bit dull, maybe you should go for ISO 400 or even 800. Although, you know, I'm, I'm guessing if you're using ISO 800 film, the, the roll of film is probably going to cost more money than the camera when you're getting up to those more expensive films. The camera has a two-page manual which came in the box and I've actually uh, scanned that and put that up on, on my website um, hoping that I don't get sued by any camera companies in China. But there you go. I've put the manual up there. It's got some really cool little um, uh, sort of cartoons and stuff in the manual. It doesn't tell you a hell of a lot than you could have worked out yourself, but it, it's kind of cool just to have a look. So as I said earlier, I bought this camera, uh, I, I made sure that it worked, I put it up my shelf and didn't touch it again, and then for some reason, I decided to take it on me uh, with me on holidays when we went overseas uh, in August last year. So it seems like such a long time ago we were actually able to travel. Hasn't the world changed in a year? My goodness me. Uh, so we, of course, went from Brisbane uh, to Hong Kong to Switzerland to the United Kingdom. Uh, and of course, you can find out um, more about those episodes and me shooting film in all of those places if you go through the Matt Loves Cameras back catalogue. There's pretty much an episode on uh, all of those places. So the first roll of film I put in the camera was a roll of Kodak Gold 200. I started shooting that in Hong Kong and finished the roll off in Switzerland. When I got to England, I had a look at the results. In Hong Kong, in the dying light, I'd taken some images of the family inside a tram and things like that, and they turned out a little bit dark. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I was sort of cursing myself for not knowing there was enough light there. Uh, but then all the ones in Switzerland turned out really well in the beautiful bright sunshine. And then we, after that, we actually spent the last part of the holidays on the Isle of Wight. And for some reason, I loaded up the Robot 3 with a roll of Kodak Pro Image 100. I'd never shot that film before and I loaded the robot up with that and got some really nice images that I really love. It's very simple, very fun camera to use. As I said earlier, it does not need a battery. You just add 35mm film. It is ridiculously light, so you can take this camera everywhere. It weighs about 70 grams without film, which is about 2.4 ounces. Absolutely ridiculously light. Now, it's not the smallest camera in the world. I mean, it's bigger than, than say, a Mew 2 or something like that. Or it's bigger than a Minox. Uh, it's a little bit, no, I wouldn't say it's chunky, but it's, it's, it's not tiny. Um, but it's certainly the kind of thing, it's so light, you can just put it in your pocket and it's not going to weigh your pocket down. It's not going to weigh your bag down. You can just throw it in with other cameras and it'll happily sit there. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun, you know, along with your more serious cameras. You can get the Robot 3 out and take a few fun photos, give it to your kids kids, muck around with it, play around. It's a lot of fun. Now, the most puzzling thing I find about this camera is the name. 
I just sort of heard it was called the Dysteria Robots. I'd read it was called the Dysteria Robots. And I even called it in my book uh, every summer. I in, Under each image where I used that camera, I said, you know, Dysteria Robot. But the name of the camera is not actually the Dysteria Robot. And that really annoys me that I got it wrong in my zine. The official name of the camera is Robot 3. So then I sort of went down this rabbit hole trying to find out where did this name Dysteri Robot come from? Everyone calls it Dysteri Robot, but that is not the official name of the camera. So I searched the internet for at least half an hour. No, it was more than that. And uh, I could not find many clues. Uh, I found some clues, but not many clues. So in Flickr groups from 2010, 2011, people are calling it the Robot 3, the Dysteri Robot. They're, they're starting to call it that then. Uh, there's no sort of clue about the origin of that name, but people know it by that name already. In 2011, there's a Facebook post from a Facebook group or Facebook page rather in Asia called Love Lomography, and they call it they call the robot camera the Disdere robot, a tribute to Monsignor Disdere. Now, Monsignor, of course, is is not a French term. I think it's a, a term for people in the Catholic Church, maybe or something. Uh, they probably meant Monsieur Disdere rather than Monsignor Disdere. Uh, but there you go. They're calling it the the Disdere robot in 2011. And of course, in that book I mentioned earlier, that magnificent book I love, Toy Cameras Creative Photos by Kevin Meredith, it is referred to as the Dysteri Robot in there. In fact, I've found the final page here, the opening paragraph, the Robot 3, often referred to as the Dysteri Robot 3. There you go, the Dysteri Robot 3, it's been called in the Toy Cameras book. And so I sort of thought, what is this name Dysteri? Why have people given it this name? Who did this? Who gave it the nickname? And I did not come up with many answers over the origin of who gave the camera that name. What I did come up with, though, was a whole lot of research about this guy, Dizdari, who this plastic camera was named after. And I can tell you that his contribution to the photographic world is vastly superior uh, than having his name, a nickname on a plastic camera made in China. Uh, in fact, Dizdari was quite a pioneer in the photographic world. You may know a lot about him. I knew nothing about him. But I was quite fascinated to learn so much about him, his invention, and the effect it had on photography. So settle back for the next 12 or 13 minutes with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or maybe a beer or a glass of wine and listen to a potted history of this great individual and his contribution to the photographic world. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. André Adolphe Eugène Dizdéry was born in Paris in 1819, the eldest child of a Parisian cloth merchant. He studied the arts and aspired to have a career in the creative industries. But when his father died in 1840, family financial pressures forced him to try his hand at several careers to help the family coffers. He had a go at being an artist, actor, tradesman and travelling salesman, all without success. In the coming years, Disteri met his wife, Genevieve Elizabeth Francar, and they started a family. The next big change came for the Disteris in 1848, a year when Europe was beset by revolutions and political unrest. In France, revolutionaries ended the July monarchy and ushered in the French Second Republic, headed by Napoleon III, one of the nephews of Napoleon Bonaparte. 
Napoleon III would later have a huge effect on Desdere's life, but more on that later. Towards the end of 1848, the Desdere left the turmoil of Paris behind and headed to the city of Brest in northwestern France. It was here that they opened up a photography studio using the relatively new technology of daguerreotypes. It seems that Mr. Desdere was a self-taught daguerreotypist and he passed on the knowledge of this photography technique to his wife who assisted him in the studio. There were two aspects of this profession that this dairy had a natural talent for. The first was lighting, and the second was helping his clients to pose naturally. Well, as naturally as they could, given the very long exposure times needed for daguerreotypes. His skill at these two facets of the profession was no doubt due to his exposure to the arts in his youth. Now you might be thinking at this stage, long exposure times, what long exposure times? Well, let's look exactly at what this new technology of daguerreotypes entailed. Daguerreotypes were the first commercially successful photographic technique. Dozens of portrait studios had opened up across France after Louis Daguerre's revolutionary process of making images was revealed to the French Académie de Sciences in 1839. The French government had bought the rights to the process from Daguerre and had made the technology free to the whole world, except for England, Wales and the town of Berwick-upon-Tweed. But that's a story for another time. Daguerreotypes are incredibly detailed one-off photographic images. They are created by an exposure from a large box camera onto a highly polished silver-plated sheet of copper that is made light-sensitive with iodine vapours. The sheet was then developed in mercury fumes and fixed with salt water or sodium theosulfate. Finally, the delicate daguerreotype was sealed behind glass in a protective enclosure. Daguerreotypes were expensive to create, with only the wealthy being able to afford them. Even if expense was no issue, sitting for a portrait with a daguerreotypist in the mid-19th century was not particularly fun. Exposure times depended on the lighting, but could range from several seconds to several minutes. In order to get a usable image, you had to remain completely still, and this was often accomplished by the sitter being clamped to chairs using neck and back braces. The process wasn't a barrel of laughs for the photographer either. They had to hope that their subject stayed still as they only had one shot at getting the image right. If they made a mistake, it could be rather costly. If the customer wanted extra copies of images for family and friends, the only thing they could do was sit for another image, doubling the time and the expense. Surely there was a better way of doing things. Back to the Desdaries. Just over three years from starting his studio in Brest, Desdere went into a business partnership with Joseph Dios in July 1852. They opened a diorama for the people of Brest, but it was a financial disaster and closed within six months. Desdere headed to Nîmes in southern France, where he set up a new studio, leaving his wife to run the studio in Brest. In Nîmes, he started experimenting with the new collodion glass negatives. It was during this time that he performed many photography-related chemistry experiments, receiving help from the astronomer Joseph Jean-Pierre Laurent. Working with Laurent, he perfected the getting the exposure time for collodion negatives down to two seconds, while also experimenting on ways to reinforce paper negatives. 
He also experimented with Gustave Le Gray's wax paper negative technique during this time. Desderi wrote several books in his lifetime, the first of which summarised his Nîmes research and was published in 1853. Returning to Paris in 1854, Desderi lodged a patent for his new invention, the carte de visite camera, in November. Carte de visite translates as a visiting card or calling card. So visiting cards or calling cards have been popular for decades by this time as an indispensable tool of etiquette for the upper classes, and they had a complex set of rules associated with them. In a nutshell, the well-to-do had visiting cards printed for when they called at their homes of their friends or acquaintances. One side would be decorative and the other side was left blank, leaving room for a personal handwritten message if the person they were visiting was not available or they're away from the house. Desderi revolutionised the concept of the calling card or visiting card by adding a photo. This was achieved by inventing a camera that took eight small images on a single wet collodion plate. The camera Desderi used was a double box type with four Petzval portrait lenses. The repeating back allowed the plate to slide from side to side, doubling the number of images on the plate from four to eight. This design was inspired by stereoscopic cameras. Images were then turned into card-mounted paper photographs, which were about the size of traditional non-photographic visiting cards at the time, which were 6 by 9 centimetres, or 2.3 by 3.5 inches. To give a modern reference, they were ever so slightly bigger than an Instax mini print. The Cartevisite camera was a slow burner. It wasn't really until 1859, five years after the patent was lodged, that its popularity really took off. And this was thanks to a surprise visitor who dropped in on Desdairy Studio in Paris one spring morning. In May 1859, the first president of the French Republic, Napoleon III, was marching with his troops in Paris who were headed to the Second Opium War. Realising he was close to Desdairy's photo studio, Napoleon III stopped the march, popped in for a portrait, and then carried on. Desdairy published the photo, and the rest is history. Once people had seen or heard about the president getting his photograph taken, everyone flocked to Desdairy's studio. Actors, politicians, singers, dancers, and everyday people came along to get their own portrait made. Cut to visit mania, or cutamania, spread throughout France, Europe, the United States, and the rest of the world. Throughout the 1860s, photograph cards were often traded among family, friends, and business associates. Display albums of carte de visite photos were common in Victorian parlours. The huge popularity of these cards led to the publication and collection of photographs of famous people. For the first time, middle-class people had a way of bringing celebrities into their living rooms. It also gave many people the opportunity to feel like celebrities, dressing in their Sunday best and going off to have their portraits taken, something that in previous generations was only available to the very well-off people who could commission an artist to paint their portrait. The availability of carte de visite cards was groundbreaking in so many ways. For example, the first photographs of the British royal family that were widely available to the public were, you guessed it, carte de visite images. 
1861, Desdere was the richest photographer in the world. He opened studios in Nice, Madrid and London. His Paris studio was a gold mine, turning over more than a million francs a year. Desdere charged 20 francs for 12 portraits and was averaging 200 customers a day. As these cut-to-visite images could be created in large numbers at low expense, it brought about the rapid decline of the daguerreotype. The effect this had on the photography industry was colossal. A competitor to Desdere, Nadar, explained the impact of this new system in his book, Quand j'étais photographe, or When I was a photographer. It spelled disaster. Either you had to succumb, that is to say, follow the trend, or resign. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. During the 1860s, the popularity of carte de visite images swept the world. Carte de visite photographs were very popular in the US during the American Civil War. Soldiers, friends and family members had a way of buying inexpensive photos to send to loved ones. One image I absolutely love is of a Civil War soldier uh, who is posing for his carte de visite image and his faithful Dalmatian is at his feet on the floor asleep. I love that image. Collecting photos of prominent people such as Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant and other celebrities of the era was very popular in the United States. Certainly, this fact was not lost on the very astute Abraham Lincoln. He sat for more than 40 portraits throughout his life and harnessed the power of cartomania. People often put images of the president in their own carte de visite albums, effectively making him one of the family. The cards filled a romantic need for others, with people keeping cards of their fiancés or objects of their affection with them at all times. Take Lincoln's assassin, John Wilkes Booth. When he died, he was found with five carte de visite portraits of women in his pocket, including one of his fiancée. In the aftermath of Lincoln's murder, it was a carte de visite image of John Wilkes Booth that appeared on the Wanted poster. With Cartomania sweeping the world, you would think that Desdere was set for life. Well, not quite. Although it made him a rich man initially, it didn't last. The system he invented and made famous was so easy to copy that photographers all around the world had their own carte de visite cameras made. And by the early 70s, the 1870s that is, carte de visite photos were not the gold mine they once were, thanks to the rising popularity of the larger cabinet cards. By 1877, Desdere was broke and out of work. He sold his studio and moved to Nice in the south of France. In later years, he became blind and deaf, spending the last days of his life in Hôpital Saint-Anne in Paris, where he died in 1889. Desdere had a huge impact not only on the photographic world, but on society in general. Firstly, he was the pioneer of commercial photography, with his innovative carte-visite camera ushering in the era of mass production of photographs. Not only that, but the carte-visite image was a key step in the development of pictorial communication. Secondly, these collectible cards had a massive impact on 19th century society. It enabled the middle classes to have a connection with celebrities like they'd never had before, establishing and solidifying social bonds, and also giving everyday people a way to feel like they were celebrities when they dressed up to have their portrait taken. 
looking at the cards from the 19th century is a fascinating insight into the fashions and trends of the day. Thirdly, you have to look at the wider impact of the carte de visite craze. In her 1985 book, A.A.E. Desdere and the Carte de Visite Portrait Photograph, Elizabeth Ann McCauley describes how the popularity of the carte de visite had an effect not only on society, but also on portrait painting, reportedly influencing styles and compositions of young artists such as Monet, Manet, Degas and Renoir. Finally, a little-known fact about this dairy is that he also invented the twin-lens reflex camera. So that's it for our little history lesson today. I still don't know who it was who gave this little plastic camera the name the Dizdere Robot, but at least I know now why they gave it the name. Dizdere was a man who invented this way of making multiple images on the same sort of frame, and uh, that's exactly what the Robot 3 camera does as well. And so you can see where the, the nickname came from now. Now for your listening pleasure, I'm going to describe some of the images that I've taken with this lovely little camera. So uh, on the website, mattlovescameras.com, I have a review of the Robot 3 action camera, the Desdere Robot. There's a couple of images of the camera at the top of the page there. And if you keep scrolling down, I'm going to be talking to you about the images that the camera has taken. And the first one here is an image of Switzerland. It was a beautiful, beautiful day on Lake Geneva last August when we were there. Gosh, it seems like so long ago. And uh, we went on a beautiful boat trip. We had this, um, this pass, like a transport pass. And of course, you know, if, if there's a freebie on offer, I'm there. I'm definitely on board. And so we had with it the transport pass, we could get on these beautiful Belle Epoque sort of um, boats on Lake Geneva. And one of them went down to the Chateau de Chillon. And we actually had free entry to the Chateau de Chillon as well. It was fantastic uh, with our passes. And so just before we left, uh, it was a very hot day, very, very warm day. Uh, I took this image on the, the pontoon waiting for the boat back. And so on the left-hand side, you can just see uh, the boat. In the top part of the frame, you can see quite a bit of the boat. In the bottom part of the frame, you can only see the flag on the front of the boat there. And um, in the background there, you can see the, the castle. Now, as I said earlier, in, in, in regards to these lenses, the top frame, which is actually the mouth lens on the camera, is, is a lot brighter or, or significantly brighter than the other two. I don't know why that is, uh, but it gives it a bit of personality, a bit, a bit of difference, I guess. And also that top frame, it sort of, it spans the whole width of the 35mm film and it kind of gets fuzzy towards the outside as well, which you'd probably expect with a, a toy camera, a plastic lens camera. Uh, that image was taken on Kodak Gold 200. And of course it has the curved frame dividers, which the, the camera is well known for. The next one down I really like as well. It's an image of a solitary swan on Lake Geneva. Very peaceful looking swan there in the middle of the water. The water looks beautiful and it looks very nice and dreamy. Again on Kodak Gold 200 there. The next one is hydrangeas in England. And it's sort of, with the three lenses, it gives you this impression that there's this massive thing of hydrangeas, which of course there was, but it sort of triples it up there with flowers everywhere. So I really like that image. It gives it a really nice effect. The next image down is uh, was taken at Hong Kong Airport on the way home. And this time I had Pro Image 100 in the camera. And uh, I really like taking transport shots with this camera. Uh, and you can see an image of, of a plane there on the tarmac at Hong Kong. I think that was the, our plane home uh, in triplicate there. In, uh, three, three images of the plane there, of course. 
back to Switzerland in the next image. And if you're lucky with framing, this is what you can get sometimes. Uh, as I said earlier, there's no viewfinder. You just sort of lift up the sports viewfinder and hope for the best. And in this image, I, I kind of struck gold. So in the top part of the frame, you can see the image I was taking. It was uh, on the left-hand side, there's a carriage. On the right-hand side, there's the, the front of a train, the engine of a train. Now with the bottom two frames, it looks like the train on the right-hand side is actually the front of the train on the left-hand side because the two frames at the bottom are positioned together. <laughs> so you'll have to have a look at mattlovescameras.com and, and see what I mean. But you'll see the train. It's a red and white train uh, with the name La Gruyere on it. It was a beautiful train through the Gruyere region of Switzerland. And you, you kind of can get these images where the different parts of the frame uh, are moved together and they kind of look like it's a bit of a trick of the image it looks like it was there was three trains there in the bottom row but it was actually only two uh, so you'll have to have a look to see exactly what I mean the next image is, was also taken in Switzerland bit of an action shot there my kids were on the edge of a boat going along Lake Geneva one evening it's a beautiful evening and they thought it was absolutely hilarious that every 10 or 20 seconds they would get a massive splash of beautiful Swiss water um, drench them. They thought it was hilarious. So they're sort of uh, having fun there on the side of the boat on Lake Geneva. The next image down is in England. It's the Selfridges building in Birmingham, which you've probably seen on other um, images I've taken before uh, for the show. And uh, the it's funny, the, the Selfridges building looks like a bit of a robot. So you've got a robot taking an image of a, a robotic kind of thing there, which is kind of cool. The next one down is back in Switzerland, which is some images of some sort of misty, foggy, cloudy pine trees, which I really like. It looks kind of spooky. The next one down, we're back on one of the Belle Epoque paddle steamers on Lake Geneva. And this time I took the image in portrait um, orientation instead of landscape orientation. And I really like this image. It just shows different people on the boat there. It was a beautiful day. And you can take images in that portrait orientation as well. You don't have to take them in landscape, of course. The next image down, a bit of an action shot. It was a hovercraft leaving the terminal in ride on the Isle of Wight, heading back towards the English mainland. And I almost put that image in my book every summer, but it, um, it missed out. Um, but the next few actually made it. The next three actually made it. So you've got the Island Line train at ride. Another action shot because the train was going past quite fast. You've got the image of Chale, which is a tiny little village with a nice church and a telephone box. And the last one is of the sea stacks at Freshwater Bay, which also made the book or the zine every summer. And then finally, finally, the last image was when I was back in Australia and I had to use up the film. I decided to take a selfie to test out the one meter one meter in focus <laughs> um, rule of the camera. And, um, you know, if I hold the camera out in front of me, it's about a meter away. And I think it is more or less in focus, um, which is probably not a good thing with my face. Uh, it's been said that I've got a great face for podcasting. Um, so <laughs> if you go on to mattlovescameras.com, uh, you can see the that last image of me taking a selfie with the robot camera down at my local little beach at Victoria Point. 
So that pretty much ties up the review of the Robot 3 camera. I absolutely love this little thing. I mean, the amount of pleasure this camera has given me for $2 Australian, which is about $1.40 American, uh, you know, like it, it's just given me so much fun, so much pleasure. I've only actually shot two rolls of film with the thing, you know, uh, but I really, really love it. Uh, quite a few images from the camera made it to my zine every summer. And uh, I'm going to continue um, using the camera. Now, in the last couple of months, I've actually acquired two more robots. Uh, so one of them was by accident. I bid on an auction on eBay for a Nickelodeon Photo Blaster, which was a camera that I'd heard Animal Mystery talk about. So I really wanted the Photo Blaster. It actually came with a black robot, which is really cool. And then recently, I had a couple of glasses of wine, and I was in e on eBay, and I saw another robot for $8.00 plus $8 postage. And so I bought it just for the sake of buying it. So I now have three robot cameras. I'm cornering the market. One day these things will be worth a thousand US dollars and uh, I'll, I will cash in. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, but there you go. I've got three robots now and you can see all three robots on the, the camera review on the website, mattlovescameras.com as well. So just to finish off the show, I really want to thank some coffee donators. Donators? The subscribers? Donators? I don't know what the right word is, but some wonderful people who have supported the podcast through their coffee donation. So one day I was, um, you know, sitting at sitting on my phone and all of a sudden this notification come up that some wonderful person had bought me seven coffees and that wonderful person was Alan at the Film Sweats on Instagram uh, very very kind of him he bought seven coffees for me $21 and I was I was really quite overwhelmed I was like oh wow this, uh, thank you so much Alan I sent him a message uh, thank you so much and um, I thought wow that's that's a record that's not going to be broken ever someone buying me seven coffees and I didn't tell anyone only only Alan and I knew about it and then uh, a couple of days later after that uh, Andrew Spencer who of course won the uh, Matt Loves Panos contest bought me 10 coffees 30 US dollars so that's so incredibly kind of him I, I was completely shocked once more and um, so very kind of, of both Andrew and Alan to buy me so many coffees it was it was very much appreciated um, so um, yeah thank you so much to them and then I also had another person who sent me some money for a zine and also sent me a nice uh, donation as well. Uh, this wasn't through coffee. This was through my PayPal uh, and basically said they wanted to remain anonymous. Uh, so I, and uh, I'm not going to say anything more about that person because uh, they, yeah, they didn't want to shout out or anything, but um, I feel like I've got to say thank you to them. They know who they are. I won't give any clues about who they are, but thank you so much. And I hope you enjoyed the zine. Now, if you'd like to uh, also uh, donate, that would be so wonderful. Um, it's not just a, a one-way thing, though, you know, like giving, throwing money at me. I mean, if you want to throw money at me, you can throw money at me. But it's, it's. I, I like to try and provide something for people who, who do um, support the show uh, through their very generous deeds. Uh, so at the moment, I've got two things on coffee. It's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. I've got a digital version of every summer zine. And I've also got a 40-minute video of me doing the first half of the Matt Loves Panos zine. So there will be a second part of that uh, video go up very soon. Uh, I've got to shoot it first. 
But the first part of the zine, the first part of the video, rather, I think I was telling you guys earlier, uh, it's just basically me finding out all the requirements, setting up the document in design, adding images, adding text, moving pages around. And the second part of that video, when I do that later this week, will be uh, me sort of fixing up all the text, adding the cover, adding the thank you notes and the intro, all that kind of stuff. And also be showing you how to upload it to Mixum uh, and, and how to export it as well, actually. How to export it, what settings for export you need, all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, checking color spaces. Gosh, it's going to be a long video as well, I think. Now, if you do uh, support the show through coffee, it costs as little as $3. If you want to give any more, that's great. But $3 is all it takes and you'll actually have access to any content for 30 days. So if you made a contribution today, for the next 30 days, you would get anything that goes up in the next 30 days, you get access to that as well. Now, a few other little things to finish off the show uh, to tell you about. Have you noticed that Matt Loves Cameras has a new logo? Yes, I've got a new logo. It's nice and colorful and fresh and clean. So to check that out. And I'm actually in the process of looking at getting some stickers at the moment as well. And uh, so I put a little poll on my Instagram. Would you like a Matt Loves Cameras sticker? And um, 89% of people said yes. Uh, there were some votes for no though. So you know who you are who voted no. So there'll be no stickers for you. A bit like the Super Nazi in Seinfeld. There'll be no, no stickers for you. And one of those people I can exclusively reveal who voted no was Matthew Joseph. Supposed friend of the show, Matthew Joseph, voted no for a sticker. So um, no stickers for Matthew. Now, for those of you on Instagram, get across to my mate Anthony's Instagram account at the moment. It is at my instant images, my instant images. And Anthony is a fantastic photographer. That account uh, I just mentioned has so many fantastic images taken with all sorts of instant cameras, Polaroid, Instax, you name it. Some wonderful, wonderful inspirational stuff there. Now, he's actually giving away a whole load of stuff, a whole load of prizes, cameras, film, all sorts of stuff in August. Uh, and I actually recorded an intro uh, about actually put this in the intro the shout out to Anthony uh, at the start of the show um, because he's actually giving away tomorrow morning a copy of my zine every summer uh, but I see that uh, just while I've been recording this he's closed it off but it's still worth getting onto Anthony's Instagram because uh, he's giving away a lot of stuff and there's some really fantastic photos so um, yeah my instant images definitely worth a follow just before we finish off, I'll read you out a nice email I had from a lovely gentleman called Robert Rubin, who I believe is in on the East Coast somewhere. Oh, I can't remember now. Is he in New York, New Jersey, somewhere like that? Uh, anyway, here's Robert's email. Hey man, thanks for the letter and the postcard prints along with your zine. I just sat down and enjoyed a cup of coffee while reading through your zine. I just rediscovered my love of film photography in February. Before that, it's been probably 15 years or so since high school when I shot film last. That's fantastic to hear. Anyway, I've started collecting photo zines and books since getting back into film. I think I heard you mentioned on the All Through a Lens podcast. Or was it negative positives? I can't remember exactly. Well, Robert, it could have it could have been both. I had very nice reviews from both uh, Mike and uh, Vanya. Uh, so uh, thank you both to them, of course. Anyway, I really enjoyed the photos and stories. It gave me a couple of laughs. That's great to hear. Did the ice cream man ever get photos from you? Well, 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 uh, we'll keep that. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know offline about that, Robert. Uh, also, I don't think I realized how good Kodak Gold can look. I'll be shooting that soon for sure. And yes, I've had quite a few compliments on that, that magical light on the Isle of Wight with that Kodak Gold 200. It looked absolutely fantastic. 
I especially like the seaside pier shots. Made me think of my childhood summers down the Jersey Shore with my family. Anyway, just wanted to share my experience with Yazine. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks and keep shooting, Robert Rubin. And you can find Robert at on Instagram at Robert underscore Rubin underscore tattoo. And he also has a website, robertrubintattoo.com. So thank you so much to Robert, firstly for buying the zine and for your wonderful email. I've just realized I haven't replied. Uh, it was you six days ago you sent me that and I'll, I'll reply tonight. Uh, but thank you so much. I've also had a couple of queries from other people over the zine not turning up yet. Uh, I know that Matt Maber in England, I think it took at least five weeks to get to him in the south coast of England. And also Ian. Uh, Ian also emailed me recently. He's uh, in uh, southern England as well. And uh, he hadn't had his. Uh, All I know is that it is taking around, I don't know, around June, July. It seemed to take two or three weeks to get to the US and the UK. And now there seems to be a backlog again and things are taking five or six weeks. So if you've ordered the zine, you haven't got it yet, hang in there and hopefully it'll arrive soon. That's it for this episode of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you've enjoyed the show and the somewhat tenuous link between a pioneer of photography from history and a plastic camera made in China in the 21st century. Um, Get out there and shoot those sprockets in August and September and there'll be more details about that soon. But get out there and shoot those sprockets. Also get on to my mate Anthony's Instagram page, My Instant Images. He's giving away a lot of cool stuff and also his photography is absolutely outstanding. That's it for this time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Check the show notes for the link.